Laugh it up, Fuzzball, but you didn't see us alone in the South Passage. She expressed her true feelings for me. My, why you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking, nerve-herder. Who's scruffy-looking? This is the 11 Days of Star Wars. Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by spending two weeks at Christmas lovingly analyzing all the highs and lows of our favorite franchises. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is my co-host, Tessa. Joining us today, always fun, Melissa. Yay! Hello! How's it going? It is going. It is turning cold. It's about to be Christmas, so I guess that's fine. I'll stop complaining about it soon. <laughs> With the cold or Christmas? Uh, both. No, the cold. Oh. We're getting into the time of the month where the Christmas thing is going to not bother me so much. I cannot sustain cheer for 30 days. Like so I, have I, a, cannot, I have a max cheer limit. I cannot start on December 1st. It's too <laughs> so are you one of those people like, I, okay, so I, my experience is getting in the car on November 1st and knowing one of my FM presets has been, uh, is dead to me now, at least for the <laughs> next month, because they've already yeah. switched to Christmas music. Is that? Yeah, that's me. I, when I, uh. When I lived with roommates, it was like, okay, here's my rule. Like, we can't decorate for Christmas until at least, dear God, after Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's the one that gets me is like, let Thanksgiving be its own holiday at least. God. I Okay. But if it were up to you, because I get the feeling that the day after Thanksgiving is not the answer. <laughs> if it were up to you, what is the ideal day? To begin putting up decorations and playing the Christmas music and all the fa la 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 la. So I personally do not listen to Christmas music unless it is Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. But I put Ooh. up my, I have minimal Christmas decorations, but I do have some. And I put them okay. up this in the second week of December. Second week of December. You mean like this week? Yeah. Like, I didn't think I did it, like, last Friday. <laughs> oh, oh, early this year. All right. Within December. <laughs> yeah. okay. So I believe that brings us to our first segment. Hey, what you doing for Christmas? Holidays <laughs> in the aftertimes. I am taking Ben, my boyfriend, to my parents' house for his first Christmas with my family. Wow, high stakes. Yes. So that oh, well, man. yeah. May May the he's force met be my with family. You. Yes, he's met my family and stayed at my parents' house before. So that's fine. There's no like pressure of that. But yeah, I think that'll be fun. And then yeah, we'll listen to our scheduled Christmas albums and we'll do the Christmas thing. I will see my grandmas and then I will come back to Chicago. You're wait, I think you remember I think I remember you telling us this maybe last year. Your family has like a specific Christmas album, 
like schedule or ritual, right? Yes. Isn't that yes. the case? It's not yes. it's not that it's not that they're specifically scheduled. It's, it's that we have haven't them. we haven't changed the lineup. <laughs> Yes, yes, I remember this. For 20 years now. <laughs> it's become a tradition by default. Yes. <laughs> Those are the best kind. Yeah. And the no, worst. That's great. Remind us of some of the uh, some of the lineup. So my personal favorite is the Kenny and Dolly Christmas album. And that's all bangers. We also enjoy a little Elvis Christmas. Um, Christmas Island by Leon Redbones, big fave. Now that's what I call Christmas volume Spice Girls, like whichever volume had the Spice Girls on it. <laughs> Michael Bublé we have. I think we the, have the a... newcomer to the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and introduce them. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, who's the lady that sings the sad animal songs? Sarah McLaughlin. Sarah McLaughlin. We yes. might have a Christmas <laughs> album of hers. <laughs> the sad animal songs. It's either sad animal. It's either sad animal songs or sad lesbian songs. It's like that's like her genre, her her oeuvre, as it were. We are we are starting this episode just like we ended the last. Yeah. One. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Harry Connick Jr. Great Christmas album. <laughs> I don't even know. think I knew he had a Christmas album. <laughs> Since I've already broken today, uh, I have a couple of questions for you, actually, Melissa. And Okay, I'm ready. Uh, so here's the first one. We're going to circle back to Christmas here in a minute, and I'm not done with you and your family, Tessa. Uh, we're going to get there. <laughs> but first, because I've already started laughing uncontrollably, that reminds me, you will have not heard this episode because it doesn't come out for a couple of days. Do you know what the genre of music oh is God. called that they play in the cantina oh, in God the first it. Do you I know? know I have heard she knows. the answer and I don't know if I I don't I don't know it it's is it yeah <laughs> is it, it is jizz yes <laughs> that Which doesn't seem know. real <laughs> I didn't know until last night and I like they just dropped that on me at the end of the episode and I just broke. I just like completely broke because surely that was a term in the seventies. Like I can't have been like that new of a term. Yes. Um, the aforementioned Ben taught me that. Oh my God. That, that guy's a winner. I know. Uh. Uh, because uh, oh, we watched the original trilogy over Thanksgiving so that I could start my Star Wars project. And I did like a, oh, I'm not going to be able to think. What's the name of the snake that eats itself? Ouroboros. That's me in Star Wars right now because I did original trilogy, prequel trilogy, original trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's how most people watched it at one time or another, yeah, right? Yeah. Like when the prequels were coming out. Yeah. And then, of course, there's also Machete Order, which is usually how we would watch it in the past. We didn't watch it that way this time because we actually wanted to try to do it chronologically, which we'd never done before. But the Machete Order is four, five, one, two, three, six, and then the sequels because yeah, it really and matter. I haven't done yeah. that. Um, but I guess maybe next time I will because I like to do stuff that way too. Like I've read the um. I've read the second 
or not the second. I've read the last two current A Song of Ice and Fire books, like in their broken down chronological like chapter order where you're like flipping back and forth between two huge books. And I just find I find those little projects so fun. Yeah, I guess you could do that with Lord of the Rings, too, because Lord of the Rings is the same way where it's like divided down the middle, like the two towers and the return of the king, where it's like the first part is about because the movies intercut them. But Mm -hmm. the the books are the first part of like the two towers is about Aragorn and the rest of the fellowship. And then the second part is about Frodo and Sam. And it's the same for the return of the king as well. That's like the first part is one side. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you could I remember find being those, very like, chapter angry breakdowns about it. on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm sure you could. That would be very interesting. I, I do want to say really quick before we go back to Christmas that uh, just just so you know, Melissa, now, now I, I don't know if you know this and, and this one you might be able to take back with you. So uh, there is a very similar genre of music in the Star Wars universe. It's older, maybe a little bit more smoother. It's called Jats. Jats? Jizz and Jats. Is that real? Yes, it is. I have seen really and learned is. so much about Star Wars yeah. today that I just cannot <laughs> believe it's real. So That's the thing about Star Wars facts is that sometimes they don't seem like they should be real, but they I, are. <laughs> so the other question, so this is a, I, I just, I'm going to ask you and... And we're going to see how far we get with this. Going back to the the first Christmas with the other person's parents, right? Mm-hmm. So my oh, yeah. first Christmas with Tessa, what do you think I did that I would under no other circumstance do because I liked Tessa that much at Christmas? Go to her parents' house. <laughs> well, that's that's <laughs> fair. Let me ask it this way. I don't what, know Tessa's parents. When was what, when do you figure was the last time I went to church? Oh God. That's right. <laughs> I mean we all I they I only made us go the first you. year and it was awful. And I was yeah. like, that's when I told my parents I'm not going back when I the, come home. The last time I went to a Christmas service with my parents, we missed it because our church had been going through changes. And so they had changed the time of the service and we didn't think to look at it because my mom has been going to that church since she was born. So why would they change the time of services? And we rolled up to the church. There's nobody in the parking lot. We were like, this is interesting. Like (laughs) nobody (laughs) believes that anymore on Christmas. Like what's happening? (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, we we spent a little bit more time talking about Christmas rituals today, but uh, that's really important since we're going to end today by talking about uh, the equivalent celebration in the Star Wars universe, Life Day. But that's <laughs> we're gonna we've got a lot to go before we get there, so we're gonna start our conversation about the Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back. This is most people's best Star Wars movie ever. And we begin this segment by just asking the basic question, is this movie good? And I got to tell you, since since we've really started creating the, the fun community genre that is the notes document, sometimes I open the notes document and it's just like, oh my God, there's five pages and I am, you know, whoever it is and Tessa have just got, it's Matt, Matt and Tessa have just gone <laughs> off to the races. And here we go. I have nothing to add. And sometimes it's not as much. But today, I, I, I think Melissa wins because there is a very clear 
precise answer to that question. Is this movie good? <laughs> yeah, it is good. That's why I picked this one. <laughs> it's the perfect Sport. response. And I will elaborate on that a little bit because this is this is my third time doing a Star Wars marathon, but this is like third time's the charm. Like this is the time that it clicked and it's going to stick. And I picked this movie <laughs> out of the series <laughs> because there's not because it's a great movie and it's just well known that it's a great movie. It felt like there would be like less baggage for me to tr- have to try to like contain and then speak about because I'm essentially <laughs> brand new to the series. Like I wanted people who had been doing this for a while to like talk about the prequels because if I'm talking about the prequels, it's like, I don't know, weird movie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Hayden Christensen was hot as a middle schooler. <laughs> That's why I saw Star Wars in the first place. <laughs> but it didn't stick. <laughs> it, it is very different, like having talked about the prequels as someone who first saw them, like as a child. Like I was eight years old when the Phantom Menace came out, versus other people who mm-hmm. saw them, like as like teenagers or you know in their early twenties. Hey, or hey, Tessa, you know what it's like to have seen the prequels as a child? Yes, I was there. Yeah, but you know what it's also like? What? Having seen this trilogy as a child. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I saw this it trilogy does. as a child, just not in the well, theater. Yeah, yeah. But... <laughs> but I was, I mean, I love this movie. This is still my favorite so far. I was willing to, like, see if something else took its place, and we still have a few movies to go, but it's a good movie. And I remember it's been my favorite since I was a kid because I was obsessed with the Hoth sequence at the beginning. So like I like feel like very distinct memories of loving that sequence and loving that film. Yes, but Melissa, is it the best? Is it really the best of the Star Wars movies? Like best or favorite? Because I'm not good oh. at best objectively, and I don't think it's my favorite. But I'm willing oh. to concede that it might be like the best of the movies. Uh, but I really okay. like Rogue One. Like I was crying watching that this ah. last time. <laughs> Okay, so, so is that your, so is that one your favorite? I think so, yeah. So is it, it it's really a matter of Rogue One. It, it's not a matter of liking or knocking Empire Strikes Back for something. It's just you like Rogue One more? Yeah, like if I'm watching a series of movies and one of them makes me cry, it usually right. sticks as like my favorite or, you know, the best on my list. Yeah. So, it's a really important piece of the criteria of evaluating yeah. a movie and because i'm so obsessed with like following actors like that cast is huge riz ahmed is in that movie and he's in such a small we're not talking about rogue one but like all those things are true <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i was editing that episode before we recorded and i'll still be editing it after so we might as well be according to me <laughs> talking about rogue one. the criteria that you provided just now was was very interesting and I am not going to say which one. I think it's obvious, but again, I'm in my head, so of course it is. I've said for a long time that Empire Strikes Back is my favorite. It is the best. Mm-hmm. I did not always think that. I thought another movie was my favorite and the best. And I believe now that those favorite and bests are two different movies and neither one of them are this movie. Really? Interesting. Wow. I, what are, what are you thinking now? Here, here's the problem. I, Dagobah is boring. It's boring as fuck. 
I don't care. I love Muppets. I mean, so, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> looking at Lily Yoda okay. being an asshole. So, like... Irving Kirshner. That's what I was going to say. Oh, so, okay. uh, we were watching... Good Lord, what were we watching? Was it the ILM documentary? Yeah. And there's a comment made that, you know, George Lucas hated directing. Why he insisted on doing it for the entire prequel, God only knows. But... <laughs> He handed off Empire and Return of the Jedi to two other directors. And Irving Kirshner was the director for Empire. And in the ILM documentary, we we heard a couple of people say that Lucas did not like that film because it was better than the one he directed. Because <laughs> he saw it as an Irving Kirshner film. And when we watched it this morning, I saw it. I saw exactly, and I was like, yeah, and that's why it's not my favorite. I can recognize that it is in contention for the best film, and I think you can make a very strong case for that. But it's a very particular kind of film. And for me, it is not Star Wars. It is a great film. If you put it in a top film of all time list, I'm with you. But I think something's got it beat in, in terms of best. Are you ever going to tell me? <laughs> yeah, like we want to know. I don't think it is obvious, actually. Okay, well, you don't think so? No. I mean, I think one of them is Star Wars. Star Wars I... is the best movie. Okay, you think it's the best one. Is yeah, your favorite... I made the case yesterday. Is your favorite The Last Jedi? No. Oh, Jedi? good lord, no. Yeah. Okay. Uh, You're an Ewok fan. So that'll be super fun. <laughs> Elise and I are just going to have it out about the Ewoks, about the murder Bye. bears. The murder bears. Uh, but but Star Wars is, as I said yesterday, the thing that makes me so upset about the the special editions and all the changes, right, is that what they did in 1977, well, 76, mostly, that we've seen all this documentary footage of, it just makes it that much more incredible that they managed to turn this movie in and all the things that had to happen behind the scenes that had never happened before. I mean, I I completely understand. I mean, like Star Wars is definitely up there for me. Like, I think that that and Empire are probably my favorites, best or not. I mean, as you know, best is kind of a subjective thing to begin with. But I think what I love so much about Empire is that in a lot of ways, it builds on some of the stuff that made Star Wars so successful while also taking it, like kind of deconstructing it a bit because it is a darker film than Star Wars. Star Wars mm-hmm. is like the pulpy adventure film, like go save the princess and defeat mm-hmm. the 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 empire and plucky rebellion. And you do have that here. You do have these characters that are essentially the same characters. Like nobody's acting differently than they did in the first film or anything like that. But it is sort of challenging and unraveling that narrative by saying like, okay, but what does it actually mean to be a Jedi Knight? What does it actually mean to be a hero? Like what is, you know, let's take this Jungian stuff that we, that we started talking about in the first film and take it even further. Like let's have Luke face his shadow self. Let's have, you know, uh, the big twist, you know, of, of Vader being his father and, 
you know, let's have torture in this film. Like, you know, even more than, than there was, there in, the was first torture film. in the first film. Yeah, but it's off screen and it's on screen in this one. And, you know, There's like S&M in the third film. I don't I mean, you can call it torture. If yeah, you want. it's just this this film kind of doubles down on the adventure, but also like takes it into a much darker, much more thoughtful place. And like we're I'm sure we're going to talk about this. The ending is unresolved, which is not something that happened a lot in film in the 70s, right? We we were still doing very like resolved film endings. And I think that that's just such a brave move to like have that ending be the way that it is and just be like, we've lost our friend and we have to go find him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know? I really like that too, especially because when movies like in the current age, if you will, when movies are announced, they're not announced as a trilogy. It's like, here's this movie. And by the end of it, you will know if we're going to make more, if this makes enough money. And that's just like, not a great way to make movies. In my opinion, I'm not the money person. So whatever. But I just, I love that this is so solidly the second movie in a trilogy, because it's like, you knew you were making a trilogy. Obviously it has gone way further than that now, but I just love that they were like, we made this great movie here's the sequel. There will be another one. Like it's a trilogy. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in- Dune wasn't even called Dune part one until you sat right. in the theater and saw the title card. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, Lucas was able to say it was a trilogy because he was funding it himself. And because the first movie was made enough money, but so fucking successful. in, in my lifetime, I can think of two examples and, no, three, because of Peter Jackson, mm. right? Because they shot all... But what's interesting, and all three of these examples, they knew what they were doing because they shot the movies at the same time. Uh, with Peter Jackson, it's the whole trilogy. But uh, Zemeckis and the Wachowskis made mm. their first mm-hmm. movie, Back to the Future and The Matrix. And based off of the first movie, they were allowed to shoot back to back. So you've got Back to the Future 2 and uh, The Matrix Reloaded as probably the close exam- closest examples to the kind of thing that you're talking about uh, until we get to Peter Jackson. Right. Yeah, I think it is very interesting the ways in which Lucas always wanted sequels, but it was very clear after watching the documentaries that he really didn't think he was going to get them. And so, you know, because nobody knew what Star Wars was. And so mm-hmm. there was a lot That's of... so like, wild to even... Yeah, like nobody knew what kind of film true. it was. <laughs> yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. and people thought it was going to feel... Like, we were just watching um, part of a documentary where they were like, yeah, it opened in like 37 theaters. Like, nobody knew what this was. Nobody... Like, but it was so fucking successful. Like, people were like watching it and then mm-hmm. getting back in line to watch it again. And... I feel like that's how Lucas gets like carte blanche to make these next two movies. Like, it's just like, yeah, give us more Star Wars. And I think that even though this is a Kirshner film, as you said, Sam, there is a lot in this film that feels very confident in itself. Like, yeah, we made Star Wars. It was super fucking successful. Now we get to do this. Now we get to like spread out. And like the actors even seem like they're more settled into their roles like it, it's very interesting the way that like this does kind of sit in the middle middle 
middle section of the trilogy in a natural way, even though Lucas definitely did not know all the plot beats of this going into it. Well, and that's interesting for me to find that out, essentially, because Star Wars, or as I would have called it until I started listening to the series, A New Hope, um, (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't feel like they were just setting stuff up for a hopeful sequel the way like modern genre movies do. So I would have maybe bet that it was a planned trilogy. So I'm even more impressed with the whole endeavor now that I know that it wasn't. Shall we get to the deep dive? Yes, please. Shall we? Ah, but really, is The Empire Strikes Back good? Let's talk about Hoth. I love Hoth. I just like, I when I was a child and I watched this, I was obsessed with a snow planet. I just thought that was the coolest fucking thing I, I don't know why I'm swearing. So I don't much know, on this man. Episode. Um, you turned into Kevin Smith all of a apparently. sudden. I love it. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I just thought it was so cool, and like you know, the I loved the visuals. It felt like in this first act that they were turning it up even more than the the visuals that they had in Star Wars. Like the fact that they're doing this against a white background is impressive in and of itself. Because as as we have learned, that is like the most difficult thing for for. Uh, special effects people to do is to do these things against white backgrounds because uh, you know, you're usually filming against a screen that is like a certain color. And so it's hard to like get all of that out because it will show up against a white background if you don't like do it just right. Um, I also really love stop motion. And I think that the Hoth battle has more stop motion in it. And the Tauntauns are also stop motion than anything in Star Wars. Um, And so it was really cool to see them just go into that direction with the special effects. I don't even think stop motion looks particularly real, but I love it so much. Like it gives such a like character and flavor to this movie. Speaking of Hoth, I was very surprised to find out that they do a Revenant in this movie. (laughs) 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 Like you don't actually see it. So it's a little different. (laughs) But I'm like, I can't no believe notes, when this, man. I cannot believe when that movie came out and everyone was flipping out about it. People weren't like, um, Star Wars did that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you said something every time somebody did that, something that happened in a Star War, I mean. I guess that's probably be, true. Um, It's right there with the Simpsons. Didn't they do that because of Mark Hamill's accident between okay, well, and, Star and Wars I, and I, Empire? Well, well, I just want to say first, though. It's interesting having the discussion, having seen this movie, I have no idea how many times, but you know, I know Tessa, you've seen it quite a few times yourself and, and Melissa, you're fairly new to this very toxic (laughs) place we call Star Wars, but I was just thinking while you were talking, Tessa, the first 10, 15, 20 times I saw this movie, if you tried to engage me with the technical aspects, I would have been like, I don't care. For years and years, no matter how many times I saw the movie, all I can think about are the things that happen. Like, you know, just not caring about the the technical aspects because it's such a enveloping story and, you know, not being able to see it didn't matter if you couldn't see the Wampa, right? It didn't it didn't matter. Uh, you know, that, that those scenes are still compelling. It still feels like peril. Even if you know, even if you know in your heart 
The reason we don't see the Wampa is because that is just a dude in a suit, and it's going to look like shit if we show him, like, full on, right? Right. And 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 I got to tell you, that was one of the things about going to the theater and seeing the special edition. It's like, eh, yeah, I can see him. Yeah, I think it was fine before. But yeah, Mark Hamill had been in a, a pretty bad, um, I want to say it was motorcycle accident between the two films. And so his face was pretty torn up. So they were like, oh, let's have him be mauled by an ice bear. Because he does have the scar. I mean, honestly, I don't think it's that visible unless you're like looking for it. But I do wonder if that like affected. Like they're like, okay, we're going to have his face speed up. (laughs) So that way, like we can explain like where these scars came from. I don't know. I think we're burying the lead, though, of this part of the film, though. They straight up sleep inside a dead Tauntaun. <laughs> they do. It's wild. Well, I mean, Luke does, and then Han's like, I'm going to build a shelter. And it's like, the Tauntaun froze to death, sir. <laughs> <laughs> when they, which is actually like a cool Han thing, but when they're like, it's going to freeze, he says, well, then <laughs> I'll see you in hell. That's so great. I, and it's, at, but, it's at the beginning of the movie and I'm just like, okay, Han, start in with the quips. I am so ready. <laughs> here's the thing. To quote Zach De La Roca, to, to quote the poet, Zach De La Roca, anger is a gift. And we, we see this. You know, Han doesn't freeze because the anger keeps him warm. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Me too. And... Well, but but that's a real important <laughs> contrast, though, because Anakin, Darth Vader himself, doesn't quite understand how to use his anger for good. <laughs> and I think that's a very important life skill. I would not be anywhere I am today without that skill. That's a distinction. I also love that <laughs> between films, like we get to see the start of their friendship in Star Wars, like this trio of people who have like over the course of these films really become both a real family or like a blood family and a chosen family at the same time um, through, through some very strange storytelling techniques, but between films, they've clearly become closer. And I love that you can see that in their interactions with Mm -hmm. each other. Like these are people who know each other a lot more, who've been through some more stuff together. And I love that Han doesn't hesitate at all. Like Luke is lost. He's going to go out there and get him, you know, like there's no, like, oh, well, maybe, like, we should wait, or, like, maybe this is a bad idea. He doesn't even say, like, I've got a bad feeling about this. And this, to me, it's so different from the person who said, I stick my neck out for nobody, right, mm-hmm. in the first film. And so it's, like, this big character arc for him. But I'm not sure he would feel that way about anyone but Luke and Leia, right? Like, those are, like, the people that he would do that for. I love that Han and Leia like start making eyes at each other like immediately in this movie. Immediately. Do you think they've slept together between the two movies? Sam and I have an argument about this. I mean, I hope not because I have a thing about seeing a couple's first kiss on screen. Like I do not uh, like a romance. Might be. It might be their first kiss, but I would I I wouldn't like that for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, I don't that's think they I have just really slept like, together. I don't. I really like to see like a couple's like first time hand touching, kissing, like whatever it is. I just like the spark of a new relationship is something I really like to see on screen. And I do not like when it's taken from me. So if they slept together before this movie, <laughs> I just 
I believe the chemistry. I I think they're too intimate in their hatred of each other. Mm. I I think there's mm. there's more there's more there that we haven't seen. But let me Did back up. Did you guys up. watch White Lotus? Not no, yet. I haven't yet. Okay. Well, when you watch it, when you see the last episode, remember what you said when I asked this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just found out that S.D. Heim was the uh, music coordinator for the second season. Wow, I just found yeah. that out. Well, there you are. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit. And I know there's expectations that I'm going to make a 90s music reference, and I'm not. I'm going to make an 80s music reference. <laughs> I'm going to talk about uh, this bizarre love triangle, which I, I was actually thinking about it, and and I think. And if if the if the original trilogy is is a new order song or set of songs, then by God, the prequel trilogy is Joy Division. It is just love, love will tear us apart. <laughs> Dead souls, they keep calling me. I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect. And and then the sequel trilogy is like orgy. It's every shitty cover of either one of those band songs. <laughs> I made it work. Uh, yeah, this is a very bizarre love triangle because by the end of the film, it's, you know, one of the legs is incest. We so, don't know. It's not It's not stated okay. that by the end of this film. You're right. You it know what? Implied. You're right. You're right. By the next film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My bad. So I watched the Gossip Girl reboot and I'm watching an episode of it today. Uh, how'd I that go? I, you know, it, it, it's going. I watched an episode. I watched an episode. It comes and it goes. I watched an episode of that show today, and I won't say which one because I don't want to lead anyone. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who might also like to watch the Gossip Girl reboot. So we're watching the episode, and the whole time there's a love triangle that's going on, and you see it, and it's on screen, and two of the people don't know that, or one of the person doesn't know that they're in it. Whatever. Anyway, it is revealed that the actual love triangle. The real love is twincest in the gossip reboot. What? And then when you said love, when I read Love Triangle in these notes, I was like, why is this happening to me so many times today? What (laughs) in the flowers in the attic is going on? Blair Waldorf would have never stood for this. Never. (laughs) Never. Never. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Like because we get the seeds of the love triangle in Star Wars cuz Luke is very clearly like, you know, like puppy loving on on Leia. And we talked about this with Lassie about how Han and Leia clearly have more chemistry than Luke and Leia do, but she does kiss him. Yeah, just, she does. Despite Han. I, yeah, I was just going to say like that kiss is about Han yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. So right. I hope Luke yeah. never thought it wasn't cuz it's very clear. It's not subtextual. (laughs) (laughs) Or poor, sweet Summer Luke. (laughs) All I'm saying is, okay, okay, I'm just going to say. So the consolation of finding out that Princess Leia is your sister, there's a consolation. In the non-canonical Legends universe, it is Mara Jade, who's awesome. In the new universe, it might be Dr. Afra. Which is also cool. We have, we have talked so about Doc, don't Dr. Offer. Worry you not about Luke. About He'll Luke. be fine. 
I'm not saying he's going to pull somebody better than Leia, but <laughs> also awesome. I, I will say, though, that it, it is revealed in this film that they do have a force connection, right? He's able to reach out to her and, mm-hmm. you know, ask her for help at the end of the film. It does make me wonder if he has felt that connection to her and, like, mistook it for romantic attraction. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when you, like, you feel close to somebody and you think it's one thing, but it's actually another thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if that's not kind this of... thing in particular. Yeah, uh, like, <laughs> I, just, I wonder if he felt that, like, you know, connection was like, oh, like, this is romantic, but it's actually not. Yeah, because, like, what would Luke know about f- his feelings? Nothing. Right, yeah. No. And nothing. Uh, nobody nothing. ever teaches him anything about them either, so. He is yeah. like Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah, he is very Jon Snow-like, John actually. Snow, yeah. I've never made that comparison, but I can see it. One thing I do really like about this movie, like, unquestionably, is how bad of a mood Darth Vader is in. <laughs> we have talked about how he is the biggest drama queen ever. That's like also he has why I love Rogue little... One. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With Vader his, with is snarky his, in that with movie. With his murder tower. What did, yeah. I call, what did I call it? You said it was like a murder drama, ta- drama murder tower. That Mount, he... Mount, yeah. his, 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 no, it's his volcano mountain lair on planet drama. Yeah, planet drama. That's right. Because I think that's what it he is. built himself a castle on the planet where he was horribly maimed. And had to go into the Darth Vader suit. Like, that takes a lot of... And the Obi-Wan reenactment. Yes. Have you seen any of Obi-Wan, Melissa? I have. So when 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 Vader's like, okay, here's what happened. I was here. You're going to be me. And you were there. And then there was this <laughs> fire. And it's hot, isn't it? Asshole. <laughs> now, wait. No. Let me show you what happened next. Yeah, he he is. We were all dramatic. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that is the most cutting thing that Obi Wan could have done in that moment. It was like I was there. I remember. I had the high ground. (laughs) 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 And then he would have murdered Obi Wan right there. He would have absolutely. (laughs) I but what's so great about I. This is the first time that we have definitely seen Darth Vader's king, uh, sorry, queen of drama mountain. Yes. And uh, because he's just in such a pissy mood this entire movie. He, so Admiral Ozzel, <laughs> Ozzel, that's his name, comes out of hyperspace too close and tips off the rebels, which by the way is not what happened. Right. <laughs> because they realized the probe droid, so, so. They were all wrong about that, but it doesn't matter because Admiral Ozzel is dead because Darth Vader murdered him. I like that he chokes him through the screen. Like, we've never seen him do that before. So powerful. Well, these things happen. So we have Captain Nita, who I believe receives a battlefield promotion to Admiral Nita. Now, he gets two strikes. He actually gets two strikes. He fucks up once me again which he does because I really think that Darth Vader is really too much of a I think his expectations are too high I think he has unrealistic expectations of the people who work for him he really needs to recognize the fact 
that the Empire has really got some brain drain, some institutional brain drain. They are not attracting the best and the brightest because they kill them, and that's why they don't have them. Yeah. That's like one thing I love about Star Wars is that Empire people just look ill. <laughs> they, they really do. They're not the right color. <laughs> Vaguely rat-like. Well, yeah, the but, uniforms aren't really great for their complexion no, either. No. No, it, it, it takes off a good skin tone to really pull off those those colors. Admiral Nita fucks up again. And so Darth Vader murders Captain Nita. <laughs> that is the best line. The apology accepted Captain, Captain Nita. Nita. <laughs> I like that he demotes him in death yeah. too. Like he got a battlefield promotion, but when he dies, Vader like refers to him by his previous but rank. That's drama. <laughs> that is snark. Yeah. It is. That it is, is drama. <laughs> but here's the thing that makes Darth Vader the two the true queen of drama mountain. Captain sorry, Admiral Piet manages to fuck up the whole Cloud City thing. Guess who doesn't die at the end of the movie? And you know why Admiral Piet doesn't get murdered like the others? Because Darth Vader is too in his feelings about the fact that his first interaction with his son didn't go the way that he thought it would in his head. So he doesn't <laughs> even have the heart to go through with the force choking. His favorite thing to do, he doesn't even care anymore because his kid doesn't like him. He said he put his hand out. I know. In a true off, it was a it was a it was an honest offer. It was it was made with love. And he was going to give that kid the world. He was going to be the dad for him that Luke <laughs> never, or that. Because once again, Anakin is forced Jesus. So he had no dad. And the closest thing he had to it di uh, d died. And then the other closest thing he had to it was an asshole to him. But he was going to be a good dad to Luke. And what did Luke say? I'd rather fall into space than go anywhere with you. <laughs> Can we? Just pour one out for me realizing that Anakin was forced Jesus for the first fucking time this year. <laughs> when I finally caught that line in episode one, I like had to pause the movie, check in with you guys and be like, am I understanding yeah. this correctly? <laughs> well, but yeah, I just, okay. But I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine, okay. Imagine growing up watching these, uh, you know, Star Wars Empire and Return of the Jedi, watching them like once a week sometimes, you know, <laughs> and you go to the theater. So like I'm, <laughs> how, God, how fucking old am I? Uh, I think I'm still 18 at this point. Maybe. Yeah, that seems right. And, uh, you know, super psyched. Right. And, and I got, and once again, I loved this movie the first time I saw it. I was just so hyped. For Phantom you, Menace, you right? Yeah, you okay. hear that line in the theater. You cannot stop it and yeah. run it back because you're in the theater and you're like, what? <laughs> Excuse me, 15-year-old AMC worker, can you please <laughs> rewind this film? <laughs> because I think that we missed what? something. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> no father? <laughs> No father. Wait a minute. The force is his father. I gotta say, when they say the force is strong with us, when they weren't kidding. <laughs> they ain't lying. I think what I love about Vader in this film, I mean, there's a couple of things, right? There's the, we get to finally see like 
this egg that he hangs out in, I guess, that he gets to, like, take his armor off because he can't survive without it, obviously, like, in the real world. Um, and so it's a place for him to, if you will, decompress. Decompress. Uh, so my dad, my dad said that when he originally saw Empire, like everybody gasped at that. When you see the back of his head, like the um, helmet coming down, and you see, oh, like, duh, because you didn't see him on fire because those movies came out. Yeah, later, and so like that was like a big deal because a lot of people actually thought he was a robot in Star Wars, like the first movie, because you never like get any. I don't think mm-hmm. that's I I don't understand how that could possibly be true because of, of the breathing sound that you hear. But like that's whatever. just um, for ominous tone. Yeah, that's they just for that's that just for vibes. For fear responses. <laughs> Right, but like he actually has like seven different white noise modes. That's just the one that like he likes <laughs> yeah. the best. He also could sound like the ocean, <laughs> thunderstorm, solid yeah. rain yeah. sounds, forest sounds. <laughs> I'm taking this too far in my brain because I'm like, oh, if he's a sentient robot, he would need like you know like sensual heavy breathing setting, so people would know <laughs> like right, what he's into. <laughs> <laughs> But even if even if that's not true, like, even if you didn't think he was a robot, it's still kind of shocking to like mm-hmm. see the back of his head in that moment, like to be like, oh, like this this person has more of a story that we don't know anything about. And I think after you've seen the prequel trilogy, you watch this one again. When you see that, it's like, oh my god! Like remember when he was just like a little crispy? I do. Yeah, that was scary yeah. and gross, and it still kind of is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and the fact that like. He has to have been in living in like so much like chronic pain, Mm -hmm. like since that happened. Like, there is a real sense that, like, I mean, he's had to relearn some stuff too. Cause we even talked about like thinking about obviously, if we're thinking about it from a technical point of view, the reason his fighting style is so different in the original trilogy than it is in the prequels or in the cartoons is that technology is different right like they have they don't have the capability of doing that back in you know Mm -hmm. when they made this particular film but if you think about it from like a in-universe perspective the idea of like that suit doesn't parkour that suit doesn't like do all the crazy like flips and stuff Mm -hmm. that he used to do and so he had to like learn how to fight differently and like you know it's just it's a very interesting once you start like teasing out some of these like implications for the suit and who Anakin is in the suit you know who else can't parkour anymore? Yoda. Oh, I have to talk about Vader. <laughs> you, but you gave me the perfect I segue. know, I know. Can we come back to Vader? Yeah, we can come back to Vader. Okay. I'm good with that. I mean, we're going to come back okay. to Vader. Okay. I just think it's a perfect segue. We should talk about Yoda. We sure. should talk about Yoda. His official introduction, even though we have technically seen him in the prequels before. I mean, the thing about it is, is Darth Vader is still a drama queen and Yoda's still an asshole. <laughs> but before yes. we get to that, old Ben Kenobi, who's dead, but is still there, 70 feet tall in front of Luke while he's hallucinating, but is also real, I guess, anyway. Would a hallucination tell you to go to a planet you've never heard of before? <laughs> I don't think so. So Luke's like, I am going to go to Dagobah. I may or may not have told anybody. R2 is like, are you sure? That is a dumbass, stupid idea. <laughs> I like that R2 was waiting for him in the in the X week mm-hmm. though. Like he knew Luke was gonna need like a quick getaway and he was like, All right, I'm ready. I've got it. Let's go. My my greatest piece of headcanon in this in this watch through Melissa is realizing 
that Yoda and R2-D2 know who each other are. Uh, yeah. And so there's a lot that isn't said in this movie that's really fun. You motherfucker came to this planet and now I am covered in mud God knows what because of you. <laughs> you have wrecked my life twice now, sir. Don't do it a third time. So, and and I you will feel my wrath. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that in terms of R2 and Yoda having a pre-existing relationship. I mean, I do have a lot of thoughts and feelings about watching the original trilogy after the prequels and thinking how painful it is to watch like Force Ghost Obi-Wan, Yoda, R2. Not one of you want to like tell or warn Luke that his enemy is his fucking dad. Like you're all shitty friends, shitty mentors. (laughs) Nobody out here is a father figure. Like that it just makes it hurts my feelings. It makes me mad. But in terms of R2, they get to that planet and Luke's like, no, I'm sure it's safe for droids. And it's like, no, it's not. It is not. <laughs> I love his little periscope, though. Yeah, like his little periscope is the best thing. Like, like I love it so much. Because he's like outside of the little hut. Yes. Just, yeah, poor R2, let him in. <laughs> yeah but like Yoda starts like Yoda just acts like an asshole like he's pretending to be like this crazy old man which to be fair he probably was which to be fair I mean he's been alone this whole time and I remember in 2020 when we went whole months of not leaving the house how insane I felt talking to other people after after that so I, I I'm willing to give him a bit of a break for that Every once in a while, I'll see, like, two movies in a row at a movie theater and then, like, run into someone at the movie theater bar and they'll say something very normal to me. And what I say back to them is just nonsense. And I'm like, it's only been four (laughs) hours. Yeah. Like, Like, why did I lose the ability to be a human person? (laughs) So, like, I'm willing to give Yoda a break for that. But then I have to say him starting to repeat some of the same shit that he said about Anakin to Luke to Obi-Wan. Like he's too old. Like I said, so much anger too much in him. Anger. Just like his yeah. father. Luke doesn't know who his father is. <laughs> it drives me <laughs> nuts. And like, I just, if it's so, if it's so dangerous for him to have this anger, I mean, it like it's true of anybody, and especially like children. I wouldn't say that Luke is a child in this movie, but they're, they're treating him like one. But like, you can tell a kid, "Hey, don't do that." But if you don't tell them why, they don't give a shit. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. And we've had this conversation about Anakin before, and it just feels like you already failed him, and you have no. You didn't figure out like, why. <laughs> like, yeah, like there's no like self awareness or introspection about why that may have happened. Like, it's just like, oh, he's not ready. Well, and he says conflicting things. He says, oh, he's not ready. And then he says he's too old. Like, those two things don't make sense together. And so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, plus, there's an argument to be made here is that if you truly think that that Luke Skywalker, because of his lineage and his non-youth, if you think he's going to be the next Himmler, maybe you ought to put him down. Yeah, I... I mean, if you really think he's going to be like Darth Vader part two, right? Well, and this goes back to what we talked about with Matt in the very first 
Phantom Menace episode, this idea that even though like they're not talking about midi-chlorians in, in the original trilogy, but this idea of like blood will tell, right? Like mm-hmm. I have more midi-chlorians than you, so I'm stronger in the force. It's very like genetics, like eugenesis, like race science, like type of like, as I said in the first episode, like, let me measure your head and I'll tell if you'll become a Sith or not. Um, So like it it is very interesting the ways that he tells Luke these things that we've heard before. And I think that might actually be one of the best things that Lucas has done is to pull that line even through movies that came out later. I did like the ch- the Jedi training sequences, though. I think it's funny when Yoda rides in his little Luke backpack. <laughs> I, you know, I will say one thing about J.J. Abrams that's nice. I love the callback. <laughs> He's on Ray's back. It's, I'm like, okay, no notes, dude. Like you really, I did. Uh, and when okay. he's like, when Luke's doing the handstand and Yoda's standing on top of yeah. his leg, well, for no reason, why is he there? I don't know. Balance and, issues, and, like. And by the way, I know that was Ryan Johnson. I'm giving J.J. Abrams credit for something he regretted. The point is, Dagobah. Am I right? Speaking of training, the the entire reason that that Yoda has come to Dagobah. Is that it has one of these force, uh, I can't remember exactly what they're called, but it's like a weak spot. It's a place where the dark side of the force is centered. And uh, somebody on the Discord is going to hear this and is immediately going to go into the Discord channel and type in exactly why Yoda wanted to be there for that. I've read it and I've forgotten. I'm sorry. (laughs) But an important part of the training is Luke discovering you know, feeling the force, stretching out, and realizing something is wrong with that spot. And so it's a test. It's one of those tests that you don't know is a test, which, first of all, having been subjected to many of those in my lifetime is not fair, (laughs) by the way. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like surprises because I do not like when people anticipate something of me and I don't know what the thing is. (laughs) Well, it's, you know, so... But but the test is, can he sense it? And then what will he do once he senses it? And Yoda, of course, is like, you won't need your weapons. Will I die if I don't take my weapons with me? No, not going to. Just going to tell me I don't need them. Everything you've said so far has been so straightforward and not cryptic <laughs> at all. I am totally, <laughs> totally, completely. And here's the thing. I'm going to trust you. I mean, so this gets back into what we were talking about yesterday with Lazzie and the Joseph Campbell Jungian stuff is that this is if if the if Star Wars was about archetypes and about the hero's journey and kind of laying that out in a very simple, straightforward way, this is about facing your shadow self. And it's about uh, it, it, like and they do it in a very like Jungian Freudian way where Luke literally goes into a cave. Right. And has to face like his fear. And even though he doesn't know that Vader is his father, there is this real sense that he's afraid that he could become Vader. Why is he afraid of this? Honestly, I think it's because Yoda and Obi-Wan put it in his head, but Mm -hmm. you know, that that's, that's like a whole other thing. It is very interesting though, because in as Jung and Campbell will argue caves in stories are often a place of death and rebirth, right? The idea is, is that you, you go in, you come out, there's like a very like, womb-like quality to a cave and this is supposed to mirror 
not just Luke's test, right? He's supposed to go through this test and be reborn. The The reason he fails is that he's not reborn. Um, that, that it's sort of, uh, it doesn't go completely the way that it should go. But the test is echoed later when he faces Vader on Cloud City. And it's even shown in the staging. Like the way that Vader approaches him before they go out onto the walkway is almost exactly the same as the ghost shadow Vader approaches him in the cave. Like it's it's filmed almost the same way. Um, and there is this real sense that if you think about Vader as Luke's father, there, even if Vader and Luke aren't very similar personality-wise, there is always this idea that your parents do represent a version of yourself that you could potentially become. And depending on who your parents are, that's either a good thing or it's a horrifying thing. And for Luke, it's a horrifying thing. This idea that he could actually become Vader, that that is a real possibility. And I think that that's very clever, the way that we set that up in the cave sequence and then in actuality in Cloud City. I think it's interesting to think about because they don't they don't hammer it super hard in the original trilogy, at least from my memory. The Jedi and like the Jedi like order as like a religion. By the time we get to Empire Strikes Back, there are no Jedis. The only person it, the only Jedi or like force user or follower of this religion is Vader. So if Luke is going on this journey to become a part of this religion or this order, there's only one other person and he is Darth Vader. Like it, even though he doesn't know that he's his biological father, he is becoming like an option as like a spiritual father because it's him or Yoda and like Yoda's kind of being an asshole and Vader is obviously a huge asshole, but also he's super right. powerful and people who use the force and don't understand their feelings get really tempted by power. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That is absolutely true. So here's something to think about before we get away from, from Jung and archetypes, right? So the archetype of the twin, right, is uh, it, it can be a couple of different things. I mean, it can be twins as in like siblings it can be rivals uh it can it can also be uh shadow and light things like that so i want you to think about as you were talking about it it occurred to me how many twins there are in this movie obviously there so are fraternal yeah. twins luke and leia but there's also on and lando there is luke and his father. He sees himself in his father, you know, literally. There's also, though, I mean, you can also say that uh, Yoda and Obi-Wan are also. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is like this movie. Or is, even Yoda and Vader, because they're two different paths, right? Right. That you I mean, potentially but, take. but that's the whole thing with this is like there's a this is really a deep dive into that twin archetype. No there's twin sunset in this movie, though. No twin sunset. In this no movie, twin sunset. No, no Tatooine. No, um, this is one of no, the very. This few may be the only movie without Tatooine. Without Tatooine in it, yes. But yeah, it's I also. Not, but it could be. Yeah, <laughs> I also have to say that watching this again in context of the prequels, it feels very sad. The relationship between Luke and Vader, mm -hmm. like more Ooh. sad, I think, than I had thought previously because Vader clearly finds out 
this or senses it or whatever between Star Wars and like by the time Empire starts, he knows who Luke is. Like that is why he's like trying to find Luke so desperately. Is it in this movie or in Star Wars when doesn't Palpatine tell him? No, he doesn't. This is the first appearance of Palpatine in Empire. Okay. I feel like, I don't know. I've watched so much Star Wars in the last two weeks. Palpatine told him his children were dead at the end of Revenge of the Sith. I thought, like, doesn't somebody tell him, like, oh, the person who did, like, XYZ thing is Anakin's son? Uh, Palpatine says, the way that Palpatine talks about Luke is very weird because he's, like, the son of Skywalker must not be allowed to, like, become a Jedi. There's plausible deniability until that last moment. Yeah. The the way that people act like Vader and Anakin are completely different people is, like, I mean, it's cover for them not telling Luke because he just gets to be, like, Vader killed your father, which, like, is metaphorically true, but that's, like, an asshole thing to say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And And I'm very curious to know how I feel about the explanation that Obi-Wan gives in, in six, because right. he does give an explanation. It's for the it. certain point of view. It's the certain point of view thing. And I'm, I'm very interested in knowing what that is, but I think it's very interesting. One that we see Vader, the first appearance of Vader, which is also the first time that we hear the uh, Imperial March theme. The music is so fucking cool. I hate to yeah. get so hyped up when it's fascist on the TV, but I'm like, Oh, the soundtrack, it rules. No, <laughs> yeah. I, you you want to feel a lot better about what you just said? Yes. You want to feel better? Yes. <laughs> Tell her. About? The Imperial March. This is a long, weird story about my childhood, but the the uh, the important part is is that my friend, we, we would hang out at church a lot because that's where our social lives were. And my friend- The aforementioned church. Yeah, my friend mm-hmm, mm-hmm. played the piano and every time I would enter a room and he was at the piano, he'd start playing the Imperial March. That's the story that Sam wants me to tell. <laughs> no, it's not. It's the prelude to the story that I want you to tell. So later, at a very important event in your life, somebody took that story and did something with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You had the Imperial March play at I wedding. did nothing. Cute. <laughs> I had nothing to do with this. Yeah. Our wedding party went down the aisle to the Imperial March. I actually kind of forgot about that until yes. this moment. Yes. So, okay. So the, the better well, version really of this story. I really do love that. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> so one of one of Tessa's bridesmaids is married to a, a, a very great guy who is talented. He's better at pretty much everything than I am. He's one of those people. He's one of those people. He's, well, a, he's a doctor. He's nice. <laughs> oh, he's, no, he's so he's nice. He's a doctor. <laughs> he's a talented musician. He's just... So he actually got a couple of guys to come with him, and they were... were They uh, they were a trio, not a quartet. Yeah, it was... He played the violin. Right. It was his brother who played the cello, and then there was someone and, else, too. And so there were two custom songs provided for us. You do remember there was another one, right? I do. So the first... So I had... Said something I made. I did make the comment about how you really should walk down the aisle to the Imperial March because I know that's a thing. And so Chris made that happen. I didn't walk down the aisle to the Imperial March. Oh, right. The party came in. I picked the the song that I walked down the aisle to and it was uh, was? All We Need Is Love. Yes. Because All You Need Is Love. Yeah. Yeah. Because of Love Actually, which is your favorite Christmas movie. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh, Christmas. Yeah. Because it's a bit, you know, in the movie, right? Yeah, uh, (laughs) that's why I got picked. 
So anyway, the Imperial March is cool. Yeah, I think the Imperial March is It was is in so our cool. wedding. And sometimes I retroactively <laughs> forget that this is the first time we hear it. Like, yeah. I think that it's in Star Wars, but it's not. It is not in mm-hmm. that first movie at all. It's This is the introduction of it. And I feel like Lucas told John Williams, like, okay, that was great for the first one, but we're going to need you to go harder for this one. Okay, and Williams was like, I got you. Real I got quick. You. <laughs> need an answer from both of you. Okay. Which one goes harder? Jaws theme? Imperial March. I've never seen oh, Jaws. Imperial March. But you've heard the song, right? Dun, dun, yeah. Yeah. Dun, yeah. Dun, yeah. Dun, yeah. I think it's the right. Imperial March. I mean, without question. Yeah. I mean, and the Batman Jaws theme song, is iconic. It sounds basically the same. <laughs> yeah. Fair. But I, we, we get to see... <laughs> I, what I love about this is that we see Vader on the bridge of this... this love Star how we Destroyer. got back to Vader. We're not there yet. <laughs> Well, okay, it's about these relationships. No, keep with Luke. going. Keep going. He's on this thing and he's alone. Like he is just standing there alone at the bridge of the Star Destroyer while everyone's like below him, right? Doing stuff. And I love how they're all like watching him. Like every move he does, everyone watches what he's doing. But then he ends the movie there too. Like after like everything with Luke, the last time we see him, it's exactly in the same place as where he started. Like he's alone on this star destroyer yeah. and he's a real sad clown. Yeah. And it, it, it's more sad to me realizing that and realizing that everything he does in this movie, I mean, I'm not trying to excuse him. He's obviously evil, but everything he does in this movie is actually trying to protect Luke because Palpatine even says like, you have to kill him. And he's the one who's like, Oh, well he'd be a better ally. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think. And so there is a lot and even when he's talking to Luke, you know, he, he's like, you know, we could we could rule the universe. We could rule we the galaxy together. We kill the Emperor. Fuck yeah. That guy. And like he in his own <sighs> twisted way. This is Anakin again. Right. Like Anakin was not in Star Wars. That was very Darth Vader. It was very mm-hmm. like. But this really felt to me like the first time we had seen like that. That person oh. come back, you know. And like in the prequel, they they talk about the babies a lot. But from Anakin's perspective, it's like, I don't want my young wife to die giving birth to these babies. He doesn't really express like joy at having kids. Whatever. Who cares? But Luke and Leia, Luke in this situation, is the reason that all this crappy crap happened to Vader in the first place. I mean, like not the reason, like he's the reason. I'm not saying that he, you know, I'm not trying to take his evilness away from him. But it's like, yeah, it is really sad for him to sit there and be like, man, like I did all this and all of this horrible empire (laughs) stuff so that I could have these babies and here they are. And this guy hates me. Yeah, he hates like, this so guy much will he's willing to let go. Yeah. Off a space station right. rather than chill with me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I, I do want to say, before we go any further, I think we need a little meta moment of clarity here. I think it's very important. It's it's very, very interesting to talk about the narrative of Star Wars. But I do want to point out when Lucas made this movie, he knew fuck all about what Anakin had done. Oh, I and, know. And that. so but that that goes to the nature of how this this story has been backfilled and built in reverse. As I said, it it is probably more interesting to talk about it as an entire narrative. But it's worth noting that the narrative exists that the, we interpret the story the way that we do because it was created in this way, and the way it was created was Lucas knew nothing about anything that we're talking about. As another example for you, 
in the comics, which Lazi brought up yesterday. Palpatine has been like punking, attempting to murder, tricking, undermining, doing all the things a good Sith Lord does to his apprentice, right? There is a reason Vader is ready to toss the Emperor out of the airlock. And it's because of the shitty way he's treated him. So first of all, you could say, yeah, it's his son, Luke, but it really could be any guy off the street at this point. If Maul came back, he'd be he like, let's first. go take him out. You know, <laughs> but I, but there's another thing here too, and I'm really going to try to remember it the next half second. The other thing, so you remember a couple of days ago when I said that nothing in the original trilogy tells me anything close to the fact that Vader murdered an entire tribe of Tusken Raiders and then assassinated, like totally killed all the younglings. Yes. Remember how I told you that? Yeah. Well, I'm right. Right. I mean, because that's the other thing, right? That that one reminds you that, by the way, this story is told all the way backwards. But two, it, it goes to, I think it goes partially, Melissa, to what you've been saying too about, about how this is, this is this character looks a little bit differently depending on how depending on your certain point of view, right? I mean, there's well, I, I, two things. One, I you're absolutely right, but I don't think you need this. I don't think you need to know anything about the prequels to know that Vader is acting the way he is because he cares about Luke in like a I'm this kid's father kind of way. Like again, really weird way of showing it. But like, I think there is a lot of that pathos that comes from the character when you know that he's Luke's father and you watch this again, you don't have to know about Anakin or mm-hmm. like the tragedy or anything to know that that's what this character's motivation is. I don't know if I, I'm I hundred I'm a hundred percent buying what you're telling me. I don't know if I personally interpreted Vader's like it watching this movie before we talked about it, it feels like it's not care for Luke because he's Luke's father. And like, they have this whole missing fathers thing happening generationally. Like Vader knows that's his kid. And so now he wants him. I'm Vader. Right. I went to the dark side. I get what I want. I want my kid back. If he doesn't like me, I will just kill him. (laughs) Well, and that's the natural progression for the Sith, right? I mean, if you're the Sith apprentice, it's the natural thing for the Sith because not that that's really been developed at the point of this film either, but I mean, Vader has to either eventually get killed by his master or kill his master, and in order to kill the master, you kind of need your your new apprentice ready to go, right? So I mean, Mm. Well, part that could be part of it. That mm. brings up actually my second point that I I think is very interesting to read into this too because I would agree you do, with you. You should have said two things before you got started. I said one, and I said one of them. This was the second one. Um, so <laughs> You're supposed to announce two things. Two things. So the I agree with you that I mean again Vader's way of caring I think has right. like an element <laughs> of like you know all of these things that we have been talking about. It's not like a yeah, I'm this putting is not like a functional my person therapy lens on the word care in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> it it is definitely not what we would we, we would traditionally want. Right, but it does beg the question: Why hasn't Vader tried to overthrow the Emperor before? Right. Um. Why did he wait until Luke was here to do it? And I think there's it's a couple depression. Answers. I think That's there's a- yeah no I think that there's a couple of answers and I think one of them goes back to what I was talking about with Ryan 
which was Palpatine in Revenge of the Sith is using very classic abusive techniques to isolate Anakin and to like manipulate him. And I, I honestly feel like Vader has no one. And again, this is like highlighted by the fact that he's alone on that bridge, right? Everybody is scared of him um, for good reason. Mm-hmm. And I think that Palpatine is the only other person he has because Palpatine has convinced him that mm-hmm. he's the only person that he has. But when Luke comes along, suddenly it's like, oh, mm-hmm. like I could have this other person instead and not this person who treats me like shit. And I so, could like, be the Palpatine in this relationship. Yeah, I could be that. I could be that way. <laughs> and to plug back into what you were saying, Sam, the conversation with Palpatine is very interesting because when Vader says, "But he could be a he could be a great ally to us," what he means is, "I want my son to survive this." What mm, Palpatine mm-hmm. hears mm-hmm. is, "Oh, I could have a replacement. I could I could have a." A, a younger model that doesn't need the breathing suit, right? Um, I could have and a so, trophy apprentice. Yeah, and so there is a bit of like interplay and going on in this relationship. Fair. Who's who? Yeah, ah, exactly. there you go. <laughs> all right, I know we could do this all night, but I we really, really, really have to leave time for the masterpiece that is the Star Wars Holiday Special. So we're gonna need to backtrack back to Han, Leia, asteroids. Lando. But before we do that, before we move, because we, despite my best efforts, moved all the way forward to <laughs> Darth Vader. So before we move off of Darth Vader and then backward into the story, does anybody want to say anything about the boss ass lightsaber fight? Oh, it's awesome. It is the so boss much ass better lightsaber than the fight. <laughs> all right. So I love the part Things where he's do like, get out of hand, though. Yes. Uh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> I love when he thinks that Luke is in the carbon pit thing and Luke just shoots up out and I'm like oh he's in the ceiling he's in the ceiling now yeah they will do that and it was awesome seeing the footage of how they filmed Luke going backwards out of the window because it turns out that's a stunt double doing a twist backflip and they only filmed the part where he was going back out of the window like they, they basically cut to that and I was like that is, that's amazing. Like, that is, like, so good, like, filmmaking-wise. Yeah. I just love the filmmaking okay. of this. It is so cool. All right. <laughs> speaking of the speaking of the filmmaking, let's talk about potatoes. <laughs> I am, of course, talking about the asteroid field, a good percentage of which were potatoes. I really, really, really hope that's what you were going to say. That is well, so it, funny. It is. <laughs> And it is. It's true. Han's moment of greatness in this movie is definitely, you're not really going into the asteroid field. Well, they'd be crazy to follow us, wouldn't they? (laughs) (laughs) That is some Michael Keaton, like, Batman crazy right there. Like, I will out-crazy you, and that's how I will win. I appreciate that. I like that a lot. Of course, his moment of, he has a couple of real idiot moves in this. First of all is, parking inside space monstro's throat and then of course trusting lando calrissian you know uh, those are really two bad decisions i mean now also that's counterbalanced by making a very good decision which is not taking no for an answer which, as i said that is how we were raised never take no for an answer it really will melt just like she does in the movie but it worked for him and that's great i love i just love that for him i 
love. I feel like I'm able to ignore that because of my romance brain. And I'm just uh-huh. like, okay, like this is just fictional. Yeah. Well, and I saw the eyes she was making to him at the beginning yeah. of this movie. Yeah, exactly. In in the <laughs> fictional universe, this is fine. She, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She she kissed your best friend. <laughs> let's let's ignore that. Let's ignore that. I have to say though that I completely get Leia's. Who takes the bigger L Han. in that case, Han or Leia? Though I mean, for real. <laughs> Chewbacca because he's losing his best friend to a relationship well and when that happens C-3PO like pops up and is like <laughs> <laughs> and, and Chewbacca has a really funny like the expressions on everyone's face during that scene is perfect but I have to say I understand Leia's frustration with Han because like we've all had that moment where we've been around someone who is just like unbearably smug about how good they are about things and they're always right. And I love that line where she says you're going to be wrong about something someday and I can't like I hope I'm there. I'm like- going to be there. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. Yeah. She she did point out this is me when we were watching it. Yes. <laughs> Up to and including the part where you wanted to be around when I made a mistake. Yeah. Not like this. Not like this. Is there anything more heartbreaking, though, than Han, after they torture him, being like, they didn't even ask me any questions? <laughs> like, it's just so sad. It is really sad. What do we think about Lando? <laughs> I've seen Solo now. Han. <laughs> <laughs> so I know young Lando. Yeah. I... Because he fakes, like, when they get there, he fakes them out as, like, a cute joke. Oh, my friend, I'm actually so happy to see you. But he had already actually, like, betrayed them, right? Like, that's how the plot of this movie works? You you had to do a double trick. Like, you faked me out, and then I got so comfortable. Like, why? (laughs) Maybe that's just their relationship. Han's ear, like, trouble is afoot. (laughs) It's a trap. I mean, there's so many people yelling about traps in this movie. Even Leia, as they're like trying to carry her off and she knows Luke is there, is like, it's a trap. And then she sticks her head back out. She's like, trap. (laughs) I was about to say like all 90 pounds of her. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually a problem for her. Never mind. Yeah, that was. She looks like such a tiny person. I mean, in Empire, she was because that's that's her cocaine weight right there. I have a very important uh... question for Melissa that did come up while we were watching this movie. You know, one of the things about getting me off track on the agenda here was I knew where I was going to ask that. And you dragged me right by it. Oh, okay. So you took this opportunity away from me. (laughs) I was going to ask this question. I I was the one who brought up this question. No, you you weren't. Yes. No, you brought up the fact. I I said I wanted to ask her. Okay, you ask her then. Okay. No, Melissa. I want to ask. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Melissa, you're the one out of all of us here that has the most hair. Okay. Like, in terms of length. Yes. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned the space bun issue before in like oh, our conversations on Discord. Yeah. So we were thinking about the difference between Leia's hair we did from not forget. Star Wars to Empire. And I really feel like obviously the stuff in Star Wars is not all Carrie Fisher's hair because it would have been much easier for them to just stick like the mm-hmm. extensions that were already like put together on her. But do you think that Carrie Fisher between films was like, I cannot like that is too heavy. Like, please let do me have my hair be more manageable. I mean, yeah. Cause she wears like, she wears her like little two braids a lot in this one, which like, that's like a real hairstyle you could do with your real hair. 
Those like big right. ear buns, I do not think that you could carry that around all day. That would be really heavy, those right? Big of buns, yeah. And you'd get like the headache from like pulling your hair in the wrong direction. Like you take your ponytail yeah. down, and you're like, oh yeah. Have you ever tried to put your hair up in like not that style, but like some sort of like all of your hair up on top of your head? Not outside of just like a top knot, like messy bun. Like when I have been in weddings and stuff, I'll tell the hairstylist, like, you don't have enough bobby pins in the world. So unless you are a hairstylist that likes to use hair ties, let's just curl it and leave it down. Because Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was about to say, like, hair weighs something. And I feel like sometimes filmmakers forget that, like when they're when they're coming up with these yeah, elaborate hairstyles. Especially to get leia's buns as like full and thick as they are it's either she's using like sock buns way before sock buns became popular or that's not her real hair <laughs> i just assumed it wasn't her real hair yeah, because but even assume. even if it wasn't though it has to be heavy like so. you know what i, I mean? mean i hope it really is just like a styrofoam donut that they put one layer of hair over and just yeah, like, put them on her ears <laughs> It is much more manageable in Empire, the braids that she yes, that her, she's rocking. Yes, her like little braid tails she does. Yeah. yeah. And she has those in uh, Return of the Jedi too, or uh, a similar hairstyle. I would really like to just segue straight from this to the Star Wars holiday special, but I know you'll get upset if I don't let you talk about the unresolved ending. Yes. So two things, actually, before we get to the unresolved See? ending, this is two very quick. things. There you go. This is very quick. This, this was the first time I had noticed it ever watching this film. When Vader is making his deal with Lando, which keeps changing, he sa- he tells Lando that Leia and Chewie have to stay on Cloud City. Like he's just taking, like letting Han go with Boba Fett because the whole point is he's luring Luke there. He does not care about Leia. He does not care about Chewie or Han. He wants Luke to come to Cloud City. And so... Lando's very happy about that because he wants Leia and, and Chewie to stay there, right? He's trying to protect them, you know, even though he's gotten in over his head. The with least seal. he could do, yeah. Least he could do. But when they freeze Han in the carbonite and you get that wonderful, like, classic, I love you, I know, which is like, you know, like the perfect. How do you get better than that? Like the, it's the I know. It's such a good. Well, you don't. That's how. Yeah. It's such like a good bookend I guess is not the word I that doesn't mean exactly what I mean but I can't think of a better word but at the beginning of the movie he's like trying to convince her she because she's like Han we need you and he's like we like tell me about you needing me personally and it's like he really wants her to admit that she has feelings for him but she either doesn't realize it yet or isn't willing to admit it and it is just like so Han for when she finally does it for him to be like I know <laughs> I know I, and, and the, the I love you I know thing is a thing that I always knew about Star Wars just through like pop culture osmosis and I remember at, when I was younger thinking that that was like so devastating and so mean <laughs> like yeah. I remember thinking like if I told somebody I love them and they just said I know 
I would start a new life somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but but Harrison Ford's line delivery yeah. though, it, it makes it sound perfect. like what he's actually saying is I love you. I know right? even though he's not saying in it. the movie. And because he's Very been badgering her about this the whole time. I'm sure that she is just like this asshole. <laughs> like yeah. if I yeah. would have said this to him in some other context, he maybe would have said it back. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have not found our podcasting as a visual medium for the episode yet, but I found it for us. So Tessa got me, <laughs> got this for me quite a few years ago. Or it's been a while, Are those but like yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's so cute. And it's, I love you. I know yeah. underneath. Yeah. Which is which is great, uh, but this is actually is not the thing I wanted to talk about. Although we would have been amiss if we didn't talk oh, about come it. On. What what I want to talk about the first thing I actually saw the the first time I actually saw it was when this is all going on, like when they're trying to calm Chewie down, right? Because and they're like, you're not helping. You know, Hana's like, you're not helping me by freaking out. Like you have to take care of Leia. While they're having this conversation, Leia and Vader share a look, and it's so fast. But the camera takes a second to like like show like Leia looking over at Vader and Vader looking specifically at her. And then immediately after the carbonite freezing, Vader says, take the princess and the Wookiee to my ship. And then Lando gets into it. Like you said, you were going to leave them here. I don't think that Vader knew in that moment that Leia was his daughter, but I think he realized something was up in that moment because that is the weird, like it is a very strange way for the camera to linger on that Mm -hmm. particular look between two characters that have not interacted that much. Well, and they also do the thing. I think it's in this movie where they're like, Oh, it's Yoda. So I guess it is in this movie where Yoda's like Luke, somebody says like Luke's our only hope. And Yoda's like, there's another one. Why is Obi-Wan so sexist? (laughs) How many women were on the Jedi council? Tessa. (laughs) How many were? Let's send Shock T to the clone planet. No, never see her again. Let's let's expel Ahsoka. I haven't watched any of the like non-live action Star Wars shows, so things about the Jedi Council I legitimately do not know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, we interrupted you. But I was just wondering, like, since Yoda is like, no, there's another one. I assume he just feels that in his tingly force feelings, like maybe Vader does too. Like, and since she's there, maybe he's like, I sniff force using on you. Yeah, I feel like, because yeah, I've never noticed it before, but it's a real thing. And then the, the fact that he immediately changes his mind about mm-hmm. her, it just kind of like stood out to me. Um, but yeah, the ending, it's unresolved. Uh, you know, Han is gone. And, you know, Lando, who, by the way, is now wearing Han's outfit. He's got the white shirt and the black vest on, like Han did in the first film, which I think is very interesting. Like, he's our Han duplicate here, or he's coming more over to Han's the Indian. side. Yeah. Uh, Han and Chew- or Lando and Chewie are going to go look for Han, and we get Leia and Luke staring out of the window at an uncertain future. What do you think about this ending, Melissa? I like it because I know there's another movie (laughs) right yeah so it's just like exciting I mean there is something because I wouldn't call this like an unhappy ending you know even though it is unresolved so it like sits in this sweet spot where it's like I'm not exactly satisfied but I'm not mad and so it is really exciting to go into a next movie after this because yeah like our friends are all alive but they're missing pieces and 
like literally and metaphorically, they're missing someone in their friend group. (laughs) (sighs) It's time. (laughs) We're going to go to our fourth segment. Meanwhile, somewhere that isn't Tatooine, where we talk about other TV shows and things in the Star Wars universe. And today, we're only going to talk about one. And this is the piece of Lucasfilm, the piece of Star Wars that canonically, canonically, you heard me say that, canonically exists between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. I am, of course, talking about the 1978 TV special that inside the United States was never fucking shown again after 1978. That's right. (laughs) The Star Wars Holiday Special. Now, unlike every other thing, just about every other thing that we've watched for this, except for the documentaries, I saw this for the first time. Tessa saw this for the first time. I believe, Melissa, you saw this for the first time, too. A real monkey. Oh, <laughs> we did it. my God. I also made Ben watch this today, too, so. You know, sometimes. <laughs> Had he seen it before? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sometimes when you know something is this epically odd, bad, whatever. It beggars belief. Yeah, it can't be. It can't (laughs) be that bad. Is it that bad, Melissa? It's insane. (laughs) Oh, my God, it is. I was very disappointed that I chose to watch this during the work day today because I could have watched this on my couch. I think you all know what that means. <laughs> we we do. <laughs> First impressions. What the hell was that? There are so many songs. <laughs> the we'll song that the bartender sings is a legit banger. Yes. I liked it. Yeah. I who knew it. who knew that that song had words the whole time? The Cantina song had words and who was going to sing them? A golden girl. I mean, they got <laughs> B Arthur to not only be in Star Wars, but Holy to shit. sing in Star Wars. Thank you for being a friend of Star Wars. And, and by the way, <laughs> nobody looks nobody in this special looks good because of whatever's going on with their makeup department, except, except for, for B. Arthur. B. Arthur. She looks amazing. Yeah. Like with her long gray hair and R2D2 like, is playing himself in this. Yeah. I not there's Kenny a Baker. lot of there's a lot of weird stuff in the credits. They're like introducing characters without their you know, actors at some yeah. point, but when they are like Harrison Ford as Han Solo and I can't, Carrie Fisher as Leia and R2-D2 as R2-D2. I was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I just, no, I, it's really funny. There's, you know, from watching the documentaries and things, I was like, okay, what did it take to get each one of them to do this? Right. It, Carrie Fisher, it was, it was cocaine mountain. Clearly. Harrison Ford, it was like, we'll let you be in a really cool movie that's not Star Wars next, right? And and the and then the joke here is with Mark Hamill, does money work for you? Okay, great. Here's some. And uh, Anthony Daniels was so pissed off, he was 3PO. Nobody knew who Anthony Daniels was. All they had to do was put his name in the credits, and he was fine after that. Hmm. I guess Kenny Baker didn't ask for anything. I, I don't know. I'm a little upset that Kenny Baker, like, I get the joke R2-D2 as himself. stupid joke. Well, I think he actually wasn't in the suit, though. I don't think he was was actually there. No, I think that was because I was about to say, like, if you're going to say Anthony Daniels is 
C-3PO. Like, you'd better say that Kenny Baker is R2-D2 because, like, otherwise you're just being extremely ableist. Kenny (laughs) Baker may have been the smartest one of them all. Yeah, to not be part of this. Yeah. (laughs) I just, we will never be the same after watching this. This was a whole thing. It's so, like, the cocaine thing is so funny. And also, it's like, yeah, because Luke is fucking thrilled through every moment of this. Like, he's looking at the camera, wide-eyed, huge <laughs> smile on his face. And it's like, that's not Luke. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> what are you doing, bud? <laughs> well, and they put, like, so everybody has orange skin in this, too. Like, the makeup is not good. And... He has like the most intense. We were eyeliner. watching a very high quality transfer. That's true. I want to point it. But he he has the most intense dark eyeliner, also, which I think makes the, the wide eyedness look like. <laughs> <laughs> I my so our producer Ryan made the directed by a cocaine joke in our Discord, but Nathan Rabin, who famously coined the term manic pixie dream girl, Ooh. same guy, reviewed this. And said, quote, I'm not convinced the special wasn't ultimately written and directed by a sentient bag of cocaine. <laughs> like, sentient bag of cocaine is such an exquisite sentence. I love it. This guy is a writer. That's how you know. <laughs> you know, a little bit of background on this is that the actors had done a little bit of TV variety work coming off of Star Wars. And, you know, no network executive worth their salt is, you know, going to let a golden opportunity like this pass it by. And CBS really isn't all to blame for this because George Lucas said, this is a Lucasfilm LTD joint. And Lucas said, if you want to do this, I will sign off on it. In fact, I'm really way too busy to pay attention to this because we're doing a real movie. But if you want to do it, it has to be all Wookiees all the time. <laughs> that was his condition. So, and I, I do want to point out a couple of things plot-wise. So I wonder you know, why. Before, Does bef- it have a plot, really? Well, before we talk about <laughs> Chewbacca's family, Mala, Itchy, and Lumpy, <laughs> I just, I want to point out two things. Hold on. Just two things really quickly. <laughs> Hold your indignation. I know you're saying hold on, moment. and it's like I'm so, holding on by a thread, literally. <laughs> so one of the big themes, so one of the big themes of this holiday special is Han and Chewie's bond as friends, nay, as family. Uh-huh. And so of course, I, I you know, most of us know at this point, again, if we're taking the the Skywalker saga as a unified narrative. Most of us know that Chewbacca follows Han around not because he wants to, but because he has a life debt and he has to. That doesn't now, feel true to me. It's yeah, exactly. It's not. I mean, because <laughs> okay. because really the the truth of the matter is they really maybe it's that's how it started, but that's not where we are now. That is a you good know, they have a real trope. Right. Exactly. That's, true. that's what yeah. I'm saying. They are the best couple in the Star Wars saga. It, it's I mean it's true. Hands down. Oh, yeah. Pause I mean, who is Han Solo's soulmate? Leo Organa? No. Have you seen their kid? It's Chewbacca. <laughs> they could have raised the other child. Yeah. <laughs> which is what I think should have happened. I've been on the record to say that. So anyway, Han is such a good friend. Nay family. Mm. 
He makes sure that Chewbacca makes it home every life day. You know, he could release Chewie from his life debt and Chewie could just go home and, you know, raise his kids or whatever, but whatever, dude. Good, I, good family man. Chewie's a rebel. He's got to be out here doing missions. I do not like Chewie having a family. Chewie as a character does not give family vibes to me. No. At yeah. all. Like, no. But also, this is so weird because of what we then eventually find out about Kashyyyk and how it's like, like, basically, the Wookiee society has been completely destroyed yes. and most of them are, like, sold off as yeah. slaves. And Molly, like, Mala, Itchy, and Lumpy would not be chilling at home under, like, the nicest occupation ever. Right. That would Yeah, because we no. see that in Solo, which we didn't really talk about when we talked about it with Megan, but the fact that, like, Chewie basically breaks a bunch of Wookiees out of the spice mine, mm, like mm-hmm. as they're while they're working as slaves. And like the whole point is that Chewie is always talking about like going home, right? And like free like going back to Kashyyyk and freeing it or whatever. So like, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. Totally important plot points in the Star Wars holiday special. Jefferson <laughs> Starship. If that's where you want to go next. I don't like they introduced Jefferson Starship in the opening crawl, like and Jefferson Starship, and hey I'm man, like, man, Jefferson Starship hand, was an important band. No, I love Jess- Jefferson. When they were known as Jefferson Airplane, I loved Jefferson Airplane slash Starship, but it was just what simultaneously like, what are they doing here? And also, I can't think of any other band that would be here at the same time. <laughs> like, well, they weren't so. But yeah, we get we get a whole musical interlude with a empire operative just watching TV at Chewie's family's house. And what's on TV is Jefferson Starship. And like a little hologram entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. When it goes animated, I was like, I have officially lost the plot <laughs> of this movie and my life. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I didn't know life could be this way, and frankly, I don't want to. <laughs> also, so what? what's the name of Chewie's dad? Lumpy? No, that's his son. <laughs> oh, that's sorry. He made his child. That is an insult, my guy. <laughs> okay, sorry. Itchy. There is a part of this. Are you okay? There is a part of this special where Itchy puts on a VR headset and starts watching what is clearly porn with <laughs> Diane Carroll. Like what? It's. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, I just say this? Is... I mean, go ahead, I, go ahead. I get that. it. I get that. It is like Wookiee porn, whatever the fuck that needs to mean. It was like, Oh, he is just doing virtual acid. Like he put the headset on and now he's on drugs. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but like what she says is so like, oh, like, yeah, I'm your fantasy. And like, are you ready for me? Like, it's like, oh, my God. Like, no. What are you watching? Like, <laughs> in a Star Wars movie. Right. Yeah. I just this is what I genuinely this is what I thought Cyberpunk 2077 was going to be. <laughs> I think it's what, I think, Tessa, I think it's what you thought it was going to be. Yeah, actually, I do. And, and we wanted this. Yeah, not like this. In Cyberpunk 2077, <laughs> where I didn't want it, 
was here. Was the Star Wars holiday special. Oh my God. It's really a case of you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you will get this fucking thing. I will also say, though, that this is the first and only time that I have seen drag in Star Wars. And yeah, I like that Mala watches a drag queen teach a cooking class on her kitchen. This is the jared and i talk about like pandemic movies on wild pretty things a lot whether they're like filmed in the pandemic they have the pandemic in them or they just like give pandemic and this holiday (laughs) special gives pandemic like they are living (laughs) in a post-covid world where they are in their kitchen cooking along with videos talking to their friends on wall screens like they're doing it (laughs) I, I do want to say really quickly, too, about Jefferson Starship. This is a serious point because we should make serious points in this segment. I was all hyped to see Grace Slick in the Star Wars Holiday Special, but uh, she had quit Jefferson Starship. She would come back later when they were known as Starship and would give us the best damn theme song to a movie ever. Nothing's going to stop us now. From the best movie you cannot find on streaming, Mannequin. (laughs) Anyway. But also, Marty Balin, who was the other person you would associate with Jefferson Starship and really Jefferson Airplane. This was his last performance. Really? Yeah. Star Wars killed a lot of things, including Marty Balin's time with Jefferson Starship. Hey. The internet. Yeah. Also, Leia sings in this. And (laughs) I... Turn the sound off. I, I like, love I, Carrie Fisher. I cannot to do death. This. <laughs> but she is not her mom. She ain't no Debbie Reynolds. That's for damn sure. Um, no, there's no. Do not say good morning to this. Yeah, no, I'm not interested in this. I actually thought the cartoon was the only really good part of the whole thing. I actually really enjoyed the cartoon, even though it doesn't make any fucking sense canonically. But it is canonical. But I. But it's I on actually, Disney Plus. Yeah, it is on. It is on Disney Plus. It's the only part of this that's on Disney Plus. But well, I actually enjoyed the animation. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yes, that is true. <laughs> this is a thoroughly, it, it seems like it lasts twice as long as it does. Oh my God, it's so long. It's so it's long. so long. I really felt, and I knew it wasn't going to be true because it's only like 40 minutes into this bad boy. So there's like another hour after this happens. I really thought it was going to, when the, the, the knock at the door happens, like, it's going to be Han and Chewy, hug, hug, kiss, kiss, Merry Life Day, goodbye, good night. It's Stormtroopers. Like, it should have just been Han and Chewy. What a nice special. Yeah. See you next been- year. <laughs> now, now, here's the thing, though. I, I do, I don't think Kenny Baker is in that, in the, in the droid. I think that's just remote work. Okay. Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher are apparently just gone. But I got to say. I gotta say that the one actor in this franchise who is infamous, it is his entire persona to not give a good goddamn about the work that he's doing. To just be in it for the money. It could be acting, it could be carpentry, whatever, man. It's a job. Harrison Ford showed up for work. (laughs) He is doing performance in this movie he is trying to sell this thing like a used car salesman (laughs) (laughs) and i do not understand i don't i honestly don't because 
And he's, yeah. he looks more invested here than he does in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, like, cool guy Han is, like, probably such an easy role. I assume Harrison Ford is, like, cool guy Harrison. It's weird to say Harrison okay. without Harrison Ford, like, the whole thing, because I'm like, oh, did I accidentally start talking about the Dexter reboot somehow? Do you, do you think Callista calls him Harry or Harrison? Well, I know Anthony Daniels calls him Harry. Oh, that's right. Because he called him that in the documentary we that's watched. right. Oh, that's funny. Oh, wow. He doesn't look like a Harry. I mean, he's really a two-name guy, like Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. If he had a third name that we knew, we'd probably call him all three of those, too. <laughs> that's why he's like, yeah. I'll never give you my middle name. <laughs> Taking <laughs> everything like a for me. Stiltskin situation. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, welcome to segment five, Max Rebo's Retcon Corner. This will be a short one because... The canonicity of, I mean, this is really the, the lodestone of the, the Star Wars universe, the, the, how the story turns and the Empire Strikes Back, right? Everything kind of depends on this, so it's fine. We've talked about it from the prequel point of view. We'll talk about it from the sequel point of view. But this is really about, the, this is really about what you can watch on Disney Plus and what you cannot watch unless you, like us, Still have purchased copies of the original. Okay, tell me what I missed. All right. So (laughs) it's not, well, it's not really what you missed. It's what you got. That's, that's, there's, there's, uh, in Empire, there's really a lot more additions than anything else. As I said earlier, you get to see the Wampa in his full CGI glory. That's fine. You get to see more Slave One, more shots of Boba Fett's ship. This is called fan service, my friends. It's fine. It's fine, though. It's fine. fine. Uh, in the documentary, we met the guy. Do you remember his name? Matt Painter? His uh, name is I not remember, Matt Painter. Uh, he is the painter of the mats. I remember that um, McQuarrie was helping him right. paint the mats, but I don't so, remember the original guy. He's a very nice dude. One of the merry men of Lucasfilm who painted many of the mats, many of the paintings that you see in the original cuts of, of Empire Strikes Back. Some beautiful stuff of, of Cloud City. We found out that Ralph McQuarrie, bless his heart, can come up with the, the proof of concept pictures for Star Wars, can show us the Darth Vader and 3PO we know today but can't draw clouds for shit. But he's also the one that came up with the Cloud City design, yeah. just not yeah. the cloud parts. <laughs> well, all that's gone. It's been replaced with CGI, which I guess is fine. Oh, what a bummer. It is. It is. And that, that's really my point about the 77, the original film, is that so much of this is groundbreaking. And it's like, why would you undo that? Like, I get it. I understand why. But why wouldn't you just let us see both of them? That all kinds of brings us to where I'm going. This is the moment in the theater when I went, what the fuck is happening? No, 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 this is wrong. You remember in The Empire Strikes Back, the film we've been talking about today? You remember when Vader asks Luke to join him, does the big reveal about how he's his dad, and he's just like, I would rather nope out. Dip. (laughs) I am out. And he takes it like a champ, just falls, just silent, 
just like accepts his fate. Yeah, not in what I saw in 97, friends. That man screams like a little child all the way down. <laughs> and I can make it worse because, oh my God, it's worse. <laughs> it's the fucking Emperor scream from Return of the Jedi. Oh they just God. pasted it in as if nobody would notice. Why do they care? Like, why did they think, oh, retroactively, Luke needs to scream doing this? Nobody would And it needs to be the Emperor's scream. We can't call Hamill in, throw him a few bucks, and say, scream like a girl? You could have found anybody off the street and just said something (laughs) alarming. Put a Wilhelm scream in there for fuck's sake. (laughs) Anyway. Somebody that's thought the that would only, be fine. That's the only scream file that Star Wars like keeps <laughs> on deck. <laughs> that was the moment where I was like, these special editions suck. Like, I can deal with Han Solo stepping on Jabba's tail. I can deal with a lot. What I cannot deal with is this. I went to see Return of the Jedi anyway. I love punishment. <laughs> Subsequent to the 1997 special edition, they decide to take old woman with the chimpanzee eyes out, because that's what that is, and replace the emperor's face with Ian McDermott's face. Which I don't mind because I love Ian McDermott as Palpatine. But so. what about the creepy chimpanzee eyes with uh, grafted on I mean, top of the old lady? that is kind of crazy. That's true. That is insane. It is insane. And so part of me wishes they would have just doubled honestly down on it. don't know for sure what you're talking about. Hold on. I will send you a picture of it. So the 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 original emperor is a composite of it is chimpanzee, right? Yeah, it's I'm getting chimpanzee that right. Chimpanzee eyes face. and an old, grafted onto an old lady's face. Like they made that work digitally. They were like that's what the emperor would look like. That's a true story. Timura Morrison, who is Boba Fett, Book of Boba Fett, The Mandalorian, Attack of the Clones. He's Jango Fett in there. Oh. They take out the original voice of Boba Fett and tag that guy in. Fine, I guess. I Like, who cares? Like, audiences can't follow a character through different voices? Well, you know, this all comes back to the fact that George Lucas was very upset. He couldn't make it look like what he saw in his head. And he's been chasing that dragon for decades now. I just put a picture of the original Palpatine look in the chat. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Podcasting, visual media. I know, right? Yeah, it's a lot. Have you ever seen the pictures on the internet where people have, like, taken, like, Photoshop and put people's mouths in their eye holes? No. No. And I don't want to. But I have seen the Sandman. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This that's what this reminds me of. Like yeah. a creepy accidental horror photo that I will not be able to unsee. <laughs> yep. <You're, laughs> hey, and you thought it was just the Star Wars holiday special. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> I uh anyway. By the way, if you're thinking, hey, Luke doesn't scream like the Emperor at the end of Empire Strikes Back, and I was on Disney Plus today. You are full of crap, my friend. Well, Somebody finally said that was a bad idea and they took it out. So I guess everything's fine now. We don't need to watch the original versions. All right, on to the lighter side of the force. I mean, we've talked about scruffy looking nerf herders. 
We've talked a little bit about R2 and Yoda, but you know who we haven't talked about? Our favorite anxiety droid. We haven't talked about Mr. Shut Him Up or Shut Him Down. (laughs) I I really don't think... 3PO knows what's going on at all in this movie. Like, I no clue. Him. <laughs> he says such funny things. Like, when they hide the Falcon on, like, the back of the bad ship so that they can escape with the garbage, 3PO's like, you've gone too far! <laughs> Surrender is a perfectly acceptable option. I just... Whoever gave, whoever put the, whoever uploaded the uh, probability mod, yeah, is probably really hating their life at this point. Like whoever did it is gonna get the crap beaten out of them later. I love that eventually Leia just shuts him off for a little while. She's just like, you just need a break. You just need a break, honey. Like, but they're so sad when he gets blown up. I know because he's their friend. Everybody has a friend Part like this. Like. <laughs> Yeah, like, I just wanted you to stop talking in the middle of a crisis, not get yeah. blown up. <laughs> well, yeah, and she's, she is so upset. She's like, it's not like him to wander off. Like, she's, like, so, like, worried about him. But I love how he also just, like, completely obliviously barges in on the romantic moment between Han and Leia. And it's just, like, completely doesn't know what's happening. Just, like. I can't remember which one of the prequels, but in one of the, I guess at the Attack of the Clones, probably it's in that like big battle at the end, but he get, his head gets like separated from his body and then he has to get fixed. But when he, his head and his body are still separate, but they're like together by each other, he's like, I am quite beside myself. <laughs> it's so dumb, but it's so funny. I just, I, he's so funny. And I think that I appreciate him more now than I did when I was a teenager. Like, I, I think I kind of thought he was annoying, like, when I was a teenager. But now I'm just like, this guy is delightful. I love him. And I love that even he's though, annoying, Tessa. even though he annoys the crap out of R2, R2 still asks Luke when they're on their way to Cloud City, will C3PO be there? Because Luke responds, oh, I'm pretty sure he's with them. Like, you know, like, I'm oh. sure he's there. So R2. I is- have thought of so many pranks. I know. R2 so is looking out for his punk friend. The hell out of him. Speaking of R2, this is the most obvious R2 has ever like Deus Ex machina this crew, which he's done before. But like the fact that he shows up at Cloud City and immediately fixes all three problems that they're Ooh. facing. Like, he's a manic pixie dream droid. Yeah, he is. And he doesn't get shot at all. Like, he's just wandering around the halls. Everyone's, like, ducking behind doors and stuff. And he's just, like, doing his thing and doesn't get shot at all. Which makes me think, is he a guardian of the wills? Mm. Is he, like, Chirrut from yeah. uh, Rogue One? Is he, like, chanting to himself in droid, uh, I am one with the force and the force is with me? Like, is mm-hmm. that... Because that's the only thing I can think of. But I love how the hyperdrive is a problem throughout the entire movie. Like, they have tried to fix it and thought they'd fixed it three times. And that is the joke. And then R2 just gets in the Falcon and, like, twists one switch and it's fixed. I guess they should have asked. (laughs) You know, he wasn't going to do it unless he was asked. But when his life was on the line, he's going to fix that. He's going to fix that thing. I love him. I do want to just point out really quickly, though. If I didn't, if instead of Manic Pixie Dream Droid, I just said Manic Pixie Droid Girl, it would still be MPDG. Are we sure? Are we absolutely sure? That's not what it is. That R2 is a dude. Are we sure? 
Because we assume, I mean, and I know they refer to him. I'm pretty yeah, sure they but, do. But yeah, do droids have gender, or is it a personification? Maybe he just a... ha- maybe he's just super polite about being misgendered. Maybe he just doesn't know how to correct people. I don't know, or maybe he doesn't have a gender. I have gone too far with Star Wars. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I do love your Internet. note in here, Melissa, about because I thought the same thing about the Millennium Falcon and them asking yes. 3PO C3- to talk to her. Yep. And yeah. C-3PO's like, this computer has an unusual dialect. And I mean, I literally watched it last week, so I'm like Leo point of the TV. I've uh-huh. seen Solo. I know who that is. <laughs> Man, if C-3PO tries to go on strike, we know what's happened. <laughs> is that it? Are we going to end on a union joke? Well, Actually, before no. we end, I was going to ask Melissa because I love that Wild Pretty Things always does this. And so I always try to ask Melissa and Jarrett whenever they're on Monkey. Thinking back to Empire, because I do not want to know what your favorite shot of the holiday special oh, is. Oh, no, I, mean, I just, but I do. Um, I don't think know. I what have is, one. What to you is like your favorite shot, your favorite visual moment of Empire? I really like, okay, so... We get to see Vader in his, like, unfortunately pretty fucking cool, like, command section where he's got his big square window and it's, like, all black and everything. And then later when they're um, with Lando, we see, like, Leia from the back looking out of, like, a square window, but it's, like, all white and, like, it's Leia. And I was like, oh, it's, like, Vader, but opposite and for good. And for good. I like that. Yeah. I think that is one of the the things about George Lucas is that he knows how to echo visually things like that. We talked about uh, intercutting when we talked about Revenge of the Sith, but this is another really great example of that. Yeah, I really like that. My favorite scene, well, it's not a shot exactly, but the thing that I like the most from the holiday special is the guy is like a pocket-sized aquarium. (laughs) It's so easy to clean the water. What the fuck is going on here? (laughs) Don't do drugs, man. Stupid stuff. Wookiees purchase. (laughs) Like, you're telling me Wookiees have pockets? Or, yeah, I mean, first of all, you're telling me Wookiees have pockets in their, like, fur, which I don't think is an outfit. It's in their body. And now they have aquariums in there. We're watching Empire Dreams. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. But the studio sent a note on the the first Star Wars film. Should Chewbacca have pants? <laughs> but wait, wait. I haven't gotten to the part that's funny yet. Oh, no. I know what you're thinking. Maybe he should have some uh, lederhosen or something. Yeah, that's what they said. He should have some lederhosen. Lederhosen. Why? (laughs) But I love Mark Hamill's reaction to it the most. He's just like, yeah, out of all the stuff we're doing, we're worried that the Wookiee doesn't have pants. (laughs) That's that's the thing. (laughs) Mark Hamill is a very smart individual. And I I think we took that for granted in the 70s and early 80s. If the Wookiees had pants, would they also have shoes? No, no. Speaking of shoes... I really feel like the Star Wars holiday special skimped out on Stormtrooper boots because they're just wearing like white, like latex tights, essentially. And like, they just look so disproportionate. Their legs are so skinny. They have no butts. Like, I've seen some good looking Stormtrooper butts in some of these movies. Okay. Like, I know (laughs) that there is potential here. (laughs) 
<laughs> just just knowing that that none of the VR Lucasfilm people could be bothered to work on <laughs> yeah. this and it shows. I am sure the costumers were like, nah, you can do that yourself. I do want to say though, like I really I legitimately it hadn't a the 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 thing you described, Melissa, the juxtaposition between uh Vader's lonely star the loneliest star destroyer. <laughs> and uh, the the end of the film, I hadn't thought about that. But I do <laughs> want to say, I am pretty sure that at home on Drama Mountain, Vader has an inner sanctum, got some cozy, real comfy furniture, some plush carpet you can really put your little feet into. Not that he has them. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's really got a nice hollow screen. It's really got the greatest hits of, you know, like you did some rom-coms, some good, you know, tear jerkers here and there. Like, I, I really, I really hope the best for him in, in terms of his inner sanctum. I think, I think it's really the opposite of the loneliest. See, I don't think so. I think Anakin's the type of person that wants to suffer. Like, I'm he wants to like with like a got shrine. A cat. Like... Helga mm-hmm. from Hey Arnold style. Right. Like not a yeah. normal shrine. I get that <laughs> reference. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I Too that's far. that's pretty no, that's pretty funny. I think he has also got a loaf cat or two. No, loaf cats wouldn't no. Nah. I love poor? my loaf cats too much. <laughs> loaf cat. Okay. I know that's loaf cat, but I love how it also sounds loaf. like loaf, loaf cat. cat. Like, uh, like I had cats. a couple loaf yeah. cats. You met them. <laughs> Do you have a loaf cat? Does your cat look like a little loaf, Melissa? When yeah, and sometimes up? he curls up in a tiny little ball and tucks his head in, and so he just looks yeah. like a void because he's all black. <laughs> void cat. Void cat. You got to love the void cats. All right. Tomorrow, Elise and I are going to fight about murder bears. It'll be fun. Apparently, that's what's going to happen. I don't know. Melissa, thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for having me. I had so much fun. I am so excited for your ongoing Star Wars journey as Thank you've you been so like much. coming through it. So I'm glad I'm that we could inspire you to do in that it now. Yeah, I think I'm going to watch Return of the Jedi when we get off this call. Ooh, do, do we want to plug our next thing? Oh, since yeah, it's soon. Melissa, you will be returning in a few weeks, right? right. To talk yeah. to us about the Godfather trilogy. Yeah, we yes. are going to go. I, I said. Uh, earlier today, I was like, man, we are just going hard through Star Wars. And like, what are we going to do to take a break after that? Watch the Godfather trilogy. Wait, I would. Okay. So it's a, there's eight episodes. So it's not that easier. Maybe there's only seven. I don't know. But if you could watch White Lotus before we talk about the Godfather trilogy, they talk about the Godfather a lot in season Is two. It se- are you talking about season one or are you talking about season two? I'm talking about season two, but it's an anthology basically. So like season one doesn't matter that much. Although if you need to watch them both, I understand. We, 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 we and think, I wouldn't I think... expect you to be able to watch them both before we talk about the <laughs> Well, I don't know. We're pretty good at what we do is all I'm saying. But I just think it's great. I think it's great that we're going to talk about the Godfather trilogy with you. It's going to be a lot of fun. I also love that we're taking on another ambitious project after this one because that's how we roll on Monkey Off My Backlog. <laughs> I also really like Francis Ford Coppola, director of the Godfather trilogy, is George Lucas's 
best friend. Yeah. Oh, really? That's cute. <laughs> we are doing a best friend podcast. Yeah, we we talked about this, I think, yesterday a little bit, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more when we talk about Empire of Dreams, but uh, De Palma, Coppola, Lucas, and Spielberg all hung out around this time period and worked on each other's stuff, so... It's really fun to think about all of them together making yeah. films. That is fun. Isn't it? I had no yeah. idea. And as we pointed out on The Phantom Menace, we will have two Sofia Coppola acting performances yeah. that we have discussed on this podcast. Yeah. We are we are truly invincible. <laughs> In the meantime, Melissa, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd or... In the Monkey Off My Backlog Discord community, I am Mellow Yellow in those other places and just Melissa on Discord. So I guess nobody could see the fact that we were very happy about. Yeah, we were all like gesturing at the screen. We were, we were, yeah. Yeah, Um, you can also find our Discord that Melissa's talking about on our Twitter bio. You want to tell them about that other podcast? Yeah, I co-host a <laughs> podcast called Wild Pretty Things with friend of this pod, Jarrett. It's fun. Jarrett, who will be with us to talk about the the singularly most agreed upon, most well-liked <laughs> Star Wars entry in the franchise, The Last Jedi. Historically, people have had I, singular opinions about that. And you film. know, I whatever whatever happened to that Ryan Johnson? I thought you were going to say the rise of Skywalker and you were doing like a, no. well, you were kind of doing a bit, but I thought you were going to say the rise of Skywalker. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. I mean, it's still going to be amazing. But... <laughs> we're you actually know, having Ryan back on. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to record with anybody for rise of Skywalker. I didn't think I could be cool. I, 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 I'm, it's still to be seen whether you and, can be cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so somehow. Cool? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been yet. Why start I'm sure now? Ryan can. He's a cool yeah. cat. He is. He'll be the calming influence Tessa wishes we had. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's the producer of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. That is. Exactly. That is he has to talk us down out of yes. our, our out of our figurative trees. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Did you plug where Wild Pretty Things was at? It is where you find podcasts, and you can also find us on Twitter at Wild Pretty Pod. You can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Storygraph at The By Paradox. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club, where my friend Nigel and I are reading through all of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. You can find that you can find that on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Ogg's Book Club. And you can find me. On Twitter at same underscore Morris nine and on Letterboxd and apparently Storygraph too at Melody Valentine. Got my own username. You can also find more from Tessa and me and even our producer Ryan on moviejohn.com. That's movie J A W N dot com. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter at Monkey Backlog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. May the force be with you. Get that monkey off your back. 
and have good holidays. You can play music now. Melissa said so. 